Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 273 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is June 3rd, 2013. Cannot believe it's already June. We've got a great show for you coming up on the show. We've got Dan Weber, Coach Harvey Hyde, answering a bunch of your questions. We're going to talk about quarterbacks. We're going to talk about some of the highly ranked players who we haven't seen much in the program. So lots to get to, a bunch of your questions. We do love to hear from you, so email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call 206-888-6755, leave a voicemail. We haven't had any voicemails lately, so go ahead and leave one. We'll, we'll make sure to play it on the air. Or go to peristylepodcast.com, click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail right from your computer. We have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. What's going on, Coach Harvey? Well, buddy, it's, uh, well, what do you want to say? It's, uh period of time when everybody's talking about football, but they want to get in a little vacation time if they can, <laughs> getting ready to read all the publications and see what the writers think about the different conferences and who's the number one team and who's predicted to go to what bowl game and all the discussions on the new kickoff football uh, playoffs that'll start after this year and will the Rose Bowl ever have another national championship game and why the press conference for the Pac-12 is being held at another studio rather than have it in the Rose Bowl where a lot of people haven't seen it. It's the 100th anniversary of the Rose Bowl, the new press box, the locker rooms, all the beautiful facilities there. It would seem like it would be the only place where you would have a press conference instead of in another studio. I'm not quite sure what Larry Scott's doing. We've hit Fox. We've hit Universal. Now we're going to Sony, and uh, maybe they are, but I'm not going to Sony. At <laughs> 9 o'clock in the morning all the way across time, town to Culver City, uh, forget it. And, and I really feel that way. When it should be in a place like the traditional spot of the Rose Bowl, you should see the press box and the rooms in there where speakers can speak. It's, it's, it's off, absolutely awesome for people to see. But they want to go to Sony, I guess uh, there's some... I don't know, some advantage of going there. I don't know what it is. It's Hollywood. Yep. Got doing all the TV stuff. I think that's what Larry Scott's tour has been. It was really hot the one year we did that in the Rose Bowl, if you remember. Yeah, but now they've got all the air conditioning and yeah. the press box and the locker rooms. And, 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 and you haven't seen how many people have actually seen the new press box. And $181 million worth of work. I've been through it. It is absolutely beautiful. In fact, this Wednesday, they are starting to tour before you could never go through the Rose Bowl. People used to oh. come out from the Midwest and uh, stand in front of the Rose and take pictures, but they can never go into the Rose Bowl itself. But now they're going to have tours through the Rose Bowl. I think it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sundays that you can go through an actual tour through the Rose Bowl. They got the idea from uh, Arlington with Jerry Jones and... Uh, they hired some people from that stadium to put this tour together. 
And it's going to be absolutely fantastic because how many people actually know what a $22 million locker room looks like? Uh, You've you got to get behind the scenes where the media meet and see uh, the coaches and players following games. You have a chance to, to see history and walk on the field on the beautiful turf that looks like it's fake turf. It's not even real. Uh, these are the things that I think that is football history, and I don't know what Sony Productions has to do with football at all. <laughs> all right, nothing well, against Sony. No I might have to work for them someday. They might want to cast me for something. Yes. Okay, but it, but with the tradition of the hundredth year of the traditional Rose Bowl game and the national championship game this year in the Rose Bowl, maybe the last one ever. Uh, doesn't make sense to me. Well, that opening rant about the Rose Bowl and the Pac-12 Media Day brought to you by Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. Give them a call at 1-800-888-7287. If you want to go to any sort of sporting event, the Kings are going to be back in town. They're in an O2 deficit, see what they can do. But you can go call 1-800-888-7287, and they will help you out. And uh, Coach, I know there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. We've we've ragged by on. By the way, by the way, Ryan, I had a good weekend too. You did? Oh, okay. So that just ran it out on me. Well, no, you seem very. I, excited. I had a good weekend. There was no reason for me to get fired up like that, except <laughs> I thought about it for a moment. You know? Yeah, there was no question. There was just boom. And uh, this might fire you up too. Um, from S Parks uh, wrote in um, that Directv imposed a two dollar regional sports fee a few months back. I called them because we have the package, a contract, and I wondered if this meant we were getting Pac-12 Network. Nope. They basically said costs are up, and they just needed the two dollars. So that was a, another Pac-12 thing. I thought I would share that with you. One of our uh, listeners wrote that in to to vent a little bit. Well, if uh, Larry Scott would give up a little bit of his three million dollar salary towards uh, DirecTV, we might be able to get DirecTV uh, to carry the Pac-12 network. Uh, but I would say that for most football fans or fans of the Pac-12 or the, for national exposure, I think that's why they hired people. They get the Pac-12 out there for national exposure. That's why they formed the Pac-12 network. If you're not on DirecTV, you're eliminating how many memberships that are on DirecTV? Millions. Millions. So to me, it's it's better off to maybe take a pay cut. I'd almost give it free if it comes to the uh, exposure of your football and all your sports programs in the Pac-12. Because look what's happening in the Southeastern Conference and the Big Ten and all these other conferences aligning themselves with ESPN and these other affiliates. And the Pac-12 can't even get in or get on. DirecTV, and if you notice the schedule so far this year, USC already has one game on the Pac-12 network. Yeah. So I don't want to get everybody fired up a little <laughs> bit, but you know, sometimes, sometimes if you sit back and you play it cool and you play the politics, never, nothing ever happens. I've called the Pac-12 twice and asked them, "What's the deal?" Maybe everybody else ought to do that. I think they're getting a lot of phone calls, and obviously, when the season starts heating up again, they will get more. Uh, we'll keep you any. Uh, we'll give you any updates we get along the way there. And uh, since we're going to talk about getting people fired up, oh, and wait hunt- a minute. Can I tell you something else? Okay. Get me fired up. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, coach. All right. How about a Thursday night Arizona game in the Coliseum? Kickoff at what? Five thirty, six o'clock. How much sense does that take? I mean, in Corvallis or Pullman 
or somewhere where you don't have downtown traffic, maybe a Thursday night kickoff would be okay. But on a Thursday night in L.A., are you kidding me? Look at the traffic jam. Look what it cost USC as far as people that say, oh, I'm not going to the game. I'll sit home and watch it on television. I mean, that doesn't make sense. And already USC has two Thursday night games. Two Thursday night games, and I'm not sure if they have a Friday night game or not. Do they, Ryan? Uh, I don't think they do. No, I haven't. But, I haven't studied but, it all that closely. But they but. got two Thursday night games already. Yeah. They got Oregon State, I think. Maybe Oregon State's Friday. I'm not sure. But Thursday night at the Coliseum for for TV. I mean, you got to be kidding me. You really, it just doesn't make sense to me. Oh, and UCLA's got one, too, on a Friday night, I think, or a Thursday night in the Rose Bowl. If you travel home on the 210, good luck. I would just stay at work. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so Oregon State is Friday. It's, a, it's, it's November 1st, so that is on a Friday. Yeah, Friday. Pretty uh, good. Two Thursdays and a Friday. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, the one good one is, like, the August um, – well, you're talking about uh, August 29th. I mean, that's a Hawaii game, so let's start things off. I don't think that one's as bad, but I mean, like Arizona, uh, October 10th. Yeah, how are people going to be able to get there? Are you going to get from work? I mean, in Hawaii, you know, the people work over there. I'm not even sure. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> no, we love Hawaii. But it's going to be fun. A lot of people travel in that game. But with Arizona in the Coliseum, you're going to have to take a half a day off of work if you want to go to the game. Yeah, it is. I, you know, I'm just throwing out things. You no know, problem. Uh, okay. Well, this is a throwing hard... about things that are bothering me. I'm venting today, and I like to know how you people feel out there about some of this stuff I'm venting on. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. But if you do, let me know. Yeah, call in, write in, and and tell Harvey Hyde what you think about his rants there. Well, we do, we do have some questions and stuff we can get to also. Uh, Stephen Poway, this is kind of a hot topic as well. He he wrote this long thing, but the question essentially was. Um, how likely do you think it is that Coach Lane Kiffin believes that Max Brown is going to be named the starting quarterback this fall? And do you think what do you think the probabilities of each quarterback starting? And he kind of broke down. I can't read all of it on the on the air, but he felt it was more likely that Max Brown would would get that because he he feels that no matter who gets named the starter, it's like someone's going to transfer, and they'd want to go with the younger guy. But what do, what do you think about the probability of Max Brown being named the starter, Coach? Well, you know, I've, I've learned one thing. You've got to be honest to your football players. You've got to be honest to the public, the media. You've got to tell them where everyone stands. I mean, I used to tell my players, you know, if you have a problem, come in, knock on my door, and come in and tell me. I'm not a mind reader. I want to know what's bothering you. Well, I know when you play with players' minds and you put or, 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 like Wheeler and Khalil, or, 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 I think you're playing with people's minds. I think you've got to be more uh, definite. You've got to be, if it's an or, everybody knows it's an or. But if it's not an or, it's not an or. And I think you have to have, what do you call, uh, the ability to explain that to your players in individual meetings on why it's an or, or, you know, not let players dictate what what you're saying. But it's not true. You've got to have a relationship with your players and a relationship on what's right for the football program. You've got to play your best 22 players. Now, I think Brown is going to be a great prospect. I thought he had a tremendous spring for a freshman, really. 
but you've had two kids that have had more reps, the more advanced, the more ready to play than Max Brown is. And you've got to sit down and explain to him that in the fall he may not get as many turns because in the spring he got a lot of turns because you really wanted to see him advance and, and mature. That's why he came. But I think you've got to take your best guy and you've got to give him turns and put him in the huddle and let your team gain confidence on this is the guy, whoever it is. It can't be these are the guys. These are the guys. Who do they learn to follow? Who's the one they uh, – did they start making the, their opinion on who should be playing? The coach makes the opinion on who's supposed to be playing along with – Players know who the best one is and who they want to huddle up with. If you let the players tell you who they want to huddle up with, they pick the right one. So I think coaches have got to be mature enough not to BS kids. You've got to be honest with kids, and sometimes it hurts to tell the truth. But kids want to know the truth. They want to know where they stand. And I really think Max has had a great spring. Will he get the number of turns in the fall? I don't think he would if I was coaching there. Not that he's not a great prospect, but I'd have him mature, be the scout team guy, throw a lot of footballs, grow up, spend some time in the in the weight room. I'd want to redshirt him. I'd want him to be a great player in a couple of years and let the other two battle out who's going to be the guy. So that's how I feel on that. All right. Uh, let's see. JJB had a question. He says, uh, glad you were joking when you said it was over. I think he was talking about when we uh, said we we're ending the podcast. Uh, everyone talked about the problems of the defense last year, but I think one of the main problems was actually the offensive line. And he kind of went on a rant about not being able to run the ball against Notre Dame and, and people not respecting the run, running a reverse on fourth and two, things like that. He said, my question is, what do you think the chances are this year of having a physical running game like they had under Robinson and McKay? Well, you know, uh, Summers, uh, you've been having some articles on Mike Summers, the new offensive line coach, and he certainly does say the right things, and he's old school. I think he's hard-nosed. He doesn't pull any punches, and I I think he believes in it. Will it actually happen? I'm not sure. I have to watch the first football game and watch practice to see just how serious they are in running the football. Every running play isn't going to score a touchdown. But you've got to be able to have series in the running game. You just can't run a reverse and you've never run a toss. It just doesn't work because people don't need to pursue because you never run into the outside. You've got to be able to hit the outside, off tackle, the inside, and have a balanced running the game. And you have to work on it. And you have to become tough to be a great running game team. And where is a running game determined and established? In the front line. Well, you got your guys. you got your guys who can't wait to block somebody and say, just run behind us and you've got it. But if you talk it and you don't do it, then all of a sudden kids lose their intensity with the running game. You've got to let them know now if you go into a game and you say, we're going to run the football, and you don't run the football and you throw five touchdowns, you split receivers, what do they think? They think, what happened to all this off-season talk about running the football? It's gone. So you don't go into the first game 
saying, oh, let's just score 60 points. You go into the first game saying, we want to become a better football team. And how do we become a better football team? Work on what we've been talking about the whole spring. Pound it. And if we win 35-7 to 7, or 35-14, to 14, we're a better football team than if we won 50-7 to 7, and we threw 10 touchdown passes or whatever to Aguilar and Lee. But that's not making you a better football team. But I think that up front, the guys have got to learn to be tougher. They've got to learn to finish the block. And what I mean by that, you drive a guy, as long as you can drive a guy, you never stop until he's on his back. When he's on his back, you don't stop. You get up and look for somebody else. And I, and I want to look for that. I want to see that. I want to see people demonstrate the running game is what it's all about because without a running game, you don't win on any level. Uh, makes sense, Coach. Uh, we're gonna, everyone's going to be very curious to see what the running game does look like this year with the new coaches and all that. We'll actually talk with Dan Weber about uh, Mr. Summers, Coach Summers uh, a little bit later on in the show. Uh, we're going to ask him about that. This one question is from Sean. And uh, he said, I'm just wondering what Ryan and Coach Hyde thought about what seems to be USC's inability to change. There's an old saying that if nothing changes, nothing changes. I guess <laughs> I've never heard that saying, but I guess that makes sense. Uh, I think they made one necessary change at defensive coordinator, but it's a guy that's been fired from his last three jobs. Still continuing to play touch fo- football due to a number of issues when tackling has to be atrocious. Is Lane still calling plays? I think it's safe to say with guys like Barkley, Woods, and Lee, USC's offense should have looked like the Patriots last year, even if, you know, uh, and you could only score seven points in a bowl game against Georgia Tech. It kind of goes on about that. What does it take? Everything seems like it's too complex, and I'm starting to wonder if Pat Hayden has any guts. What say you? So he, I think he's one of the advocates for there should have been more changes, a.k.a. firing Lane Kiffin after last year. I, I'm just reading into it a little bit, Coach, but it sounds like that's what he wanted. Well, uh, I'm not advocating ever firing a coach. You've heard me say that all the time. Right. I'm always advocating. I always talk about having a program. A coach should know what they need to improve on to become a better football team. That's why you're called coach, as you are a teacher. Unless you understand the subject, it's very difficult for a person to teach math or geometry or calculus if you don't know the subject. So you've got to know the subject in order to do the teaching. Now, I think that uh, when you watch the Trojan offense, and I watched the Trojan offense in the spring, I saw almost the identical offense as what I saw last fall. I don't think I saw many changes uh, as far as play calling, formations. Um, I saw... Uh, an effort to run the football more. Uh, I saw more enthusiasm from the coaches as far as especially, well, Orgeron's always got it, but I mean the three new coaches, I was watching them closely, and they have a lot of enthusiasm too in recruiting, as you have noted in uh, your website. Uh, I think that there's a, this is a crucial year. Everybody is waiting to see what's going to happen. And I'm not talking about just football fans, uh, coaches. I'm talking about recruits. Recruits are waiting to see 
what's going to happen? You can talk about recruiting all you want, but I'm telling you, they want to know who's going to be the football coach at USC next year, what the record is at USC. If there isn't the same staff at USC, who is it going to be before you see any great players committing? Now, not that these players that haven't committed aren't great players. I'm not here to evaluate them right now. But I'm telling you, change has got to be there at USC because people want it. Not just in wins and losing. Wins are, yeah, win ugly but win. I'll agree with that. But you want to see the team get better. You want to see the performance of the team get better. You want to see it not have formation tendencies. You want to see uh, the running game. You want to see a short yardage offense. You want to be able to see the screens and draws part of the passing game be implemented into the offense. There's a lot of things that you're waiting to see. You want to see the fullback situation. How is the fullback being utilized? Rather than just running two tight ends and not have a fullback. Uh, Now, how about a two-back offense with Madden and Davis or whomever it might be? Rather than just a one-back offense, what best fits the personnel that helps you have a better offense? Now, it's not the number of plays and formations you have. It's how you execute them and how tough you are and how to out, out of every formation you can run all of your running plays so that they can't say, oh, they're at an eye, they're going to run this, this, or that. You can't do that. You've got to be able to execute your running game and passing game from the formations you run and do it simple. Don't confuse your players because when you do too much, you confuse yourself, you confuse your players, and that's now taking the athletic ability out of your athletes when you're thinking and not playing. That makes sense, Coach. Uh, Well, we'll see. If the changes that were made were enough, um, and we're, gonna t- we're actually going to talk about what Dan Weber thinks about Pat Hayden's job a little later on the show. We had a question on that as well. Uh, but, Coach, one topic I wanted to bring up with you, um, the players just started this morning. They started doing their summer workouts, so they were working out at 6 a.m. Uh, with the conditioning uh, staff, and you know, uh, uh, summer classes started, so players are back there taking school they'll start throwing the football around and uh do kind of you know get the whole summer workout thing all in preparation for uh fall camp which will start up in august and i wanted to get your thoughts on what you think about summer workouts and i guess how they've changed over the years and all of that well you know i i know one thing you covered well you have all the videos and you covered every day almost what's happening in the summer workouts personally i feel this too much Personally, I feel that kids need a break from football. I think they need to get away and become kids and spend their time, of course, conditioning, but sometimes on your own. Sometimes you see the same people just too many times. You don't look forward to getting up at 6 in the morning during the summer months. Uh, You want to be able to be a kid. You want to be able to enjoy the beach. You want to be able to look forward to touching a football and seeing your teammates. And when you do too much all the time, I think it takes the enthusiasm out of the kids and you get what you call a burnout. When camp starts, you're already you're tired already. You're, you're tired of football. And I think that, you know, a lot of people do this because someone else is doing it. The coaches, coaches are funny. Oh, they do it at Alabama, so we got to do it. Or they do it at Washington, so we got to do it. 
coaches are copycats. Or they stay up till four in the morning watching film, so we got to do it. And they, they they must they must be winning. And we don't want people to say we're not working hard because we don't stay in the office till four thirty in the morning and come back at six. So I think coaches and players and everybody get paranoid over all this, and what everybody thinks. You remember Bud Grant years ago didn't even have what training camp Harley for his his uh, Minnesota Vikings when he coached there, yet they went to the Super Bowl almost every year. There's different ways of doing things. Now, I'm not advocating that. I think it's good that incoming players that haven't been in spring ball have an opportunity to get in school early and get started academically and become accustomed to the college and their players and teammates and also uh, watch videos and watch film and, and go through step works and so on. But realistically, realistically, how good are you when you're depending on freshmen coming in and playing immediately after they're that far behind? You want them to come in. You want them to learn. You want them to be give you depth. I mean, like Leonard Williams, yeah, he was an exception. Some of these others are exceptions. They come in and play. Uh, Marquise Lee, uh, Aguilar, sure, you have those. But they would have been good without Summers summer camp or working out all summer on their own. Now, you have players that get injured out there. You have players that are wasting their time out there, where their time could be used better off than being out there at 6 in the morning. So I, this is my philosophy. And, and of course, uh, coaches and strength coaches, you know, they can't get enough of these kids. They'll <laughs> use every second, lifting weights, power clean, squats, tear their biceps, the whole thing. Well, I think it's more mentally important for a kid to be ready to play and look forward to playing football. And I've said this many times, that a lot of times I've taken the balls away from the players. They can go out and work out, go through their formations and routes without a football because it's better to be sharp and know the technical part of the game and where to line up and what the reads are than to throw the ball and actually do it. And then when you bring the balls out, they're anxious and they're ready to go. That's an interesting way to look at it, Coach, because I do. I mean, I've definitely talked to players over the years, and it's it just seems to get more and more about football where there's – I mean, they have a couple of weeks off the entire year. It's not – it's really not that much time to, to kind of get away from things. And I know it's a very competitive business and all of that, but there, there does – there's probably a point at some, you know, sometime there's this point where you have to say, this is a little bit too much, but it, it doesn't seem like it can be kids all that much because there's all these, you know, workouts going on all the time and they really don't have uh, very much time off at all. It's ridiculous. It is. And it's the same thing with the meetings. When I was coaching, uh, it'd get to be about eight thirty, nine o'clock and we'd be in staff meetings looking at, uh, tapes and films and I noticed it get quiet I'd look over and a guy was starting to nod off or going to get another cup of coffee and we weren't making any headway on solving this play or solving what we were going to do I'd just get up, turn the lights on I'd say out of here everybody out of here, go home if you don't go home don't use me as I kept you here but get out of the office I'll see you all here at 6 in the morning and I'll tell you you couldn't wait to hear the door slam Ba-bam, 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 sound like a machine gun going down the hallway. 
because they knew they had hit the wall. Staying there till 11 or 12 at night wasn't going to solve what we had to do. But in the morning when they came in, they had thought about it on the freeway. They were, it was good to get home, watch a little TV, be with their families. And on the way in in the morning, they had thought about it. And we solved it in 15 minutes rather than sit there and say, oh, what are we going to do? Even if we came back the next morning and said, you know what? We can't run this play against this defense. Move on. And that was it. I mean, this, this, you know, and I worked with George Allen, okay? So I knew what hours were. I knew what hours were when he would, you know, you've heard the stories. He would call the other office, and if their coaches answered the phone, he'd hang up and we'd have to stay longer. You've heard those stories. Yeah. I think that's ridiculous. The longer you coach, the more smarter you're supposed to be. You know, if I was 10 years old coaching at SC, I'd probably stay up, never sleep, because I wouldn't know what the hell's going on. But the older you get, the more qualified you are, like a surgeon. A surgeon goes in and does a heart transplant, but he's done it before. And I'd rather have a guy that's done it before than a guy that's doing his first one. So, you know, it's the same thing with football. Everybody thinks that, oh, if I'm not working till 4 in the morning, what will people think? It's not what they think. It's what the results are. And the results are the same with the coaches as they are with the kids. you got to be fresh mentally and physically. Well, that makes sense, Coach. And we'll see if there's any changes on the horizon. Sometimes the NCAA steps in and does stuff. Well, let me ask you. Don't you get sick and tired of going out there and videoing (laughs) it all summer? (laughs) It's my job. So, I mean, that's what Uh, I'm doing. No, no, no. I want you to answer it. Answer me a question. It's your job. But it's it's just what do you – it's the same thing, Ryan. You know, I mean, what are you seeing different? It's the same thing. Those kids are out there doing the same thing, 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 thing. Gets old. Yeah, no, it definitely can, and I, I can, you know, you're right along with them. But I'm, and but we're not in most of the stuff they do. We're there for like the throwing parts. Like we're camp, we're not there in the weight room. They're there four days a week, you know, uh, out, out in the field doing conditioning stuff. We're not, we're, you know, we're not there for that. We're not in the meeting rooms and and all that. I mean, I can't imagine the amount of work that those guys have to put in. Plus, go to school. I mean, it it just seems like it would be overwhelming. Oh, and I'll tell you another thing, too, since we're on a good rant today. I've been gone for a couple of weeks, as you can tell. And uh, these uh, summer workouts and camps for all the high school juniors and seniors that are out there, absolutely ridiculous. Every weekend they're at a different camp, five-star camp, four-star camp, Under Armour camp, Nike camp, this camp, uh, you know, Gatorade camp. I mean, I mean, what are they doing to these kids? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, can't you sit down and evaluate a player? You've got to have him go all over the United States in camps and be in camps all summer. If I was a parent, I'd never do that. If a kid didn't want, if they didn't want my kid to have a scholarship, if he wasn't good enough, then we'd pay his way to college. It's ridiculous right now. There's no off time ever for a high school player anymore. Summer passing leagues. Summer this league. Summer that league, summer all star league, uh, high school all star games. I mean, really, think about it as a parent or an athlete if you're listening today. Wouldn't you just like to do something different <laughs> or have a weekend off? I mean, is that going to make a difference in your career or if somebody's going to offer you a scholarship or not? 
You've got to be kidding me. You tell me if I turn down the SC camp, whatever camp they have, I'm just using SC, and I'm a great player, that SC's not going to offer me a scholarship? Oh, you're well, crazy. We, well, we hear a lot from the coaches and from players is that the, the coaches want to evaluate. For the, the specifically the coaches' camps, like the school camps, they want to see players in person a lot of times before they offer them. So, and I think a lot of the other camps, you know, we're going to be heading to, I'm heading to Chicago on Wednesday. We're doing a big five-star camp for like the top hundred right. players in the country. Uh, I mean, those guys are getting exposure. Like that's, that's more of an all-star thing. They fly you out there. I think that's. Yeah. But do they need more exposure? These are high school kids. What right. the hell are we talking about? Exposure. I'm making these guys professional guys before they go to college. I think the most effective ones are like the the smaller regional ones because there's players that just play for small schools and they don't seem to get noticed. And you put them in a situation where they're going. It's a cornerback going up against a, a a wide receiver that everybody knows, and he holds his own. Then he kind of gets more notice. So I, I think oh. it helps certain levels, but yeah, no, I, I understand coach. There's a lot. Go- I mean, I get sick of doing cover of those too, but it seems like I'm out every weekend covering one of them. I know it. And I was, if I were you, I'd be sick of doing that too. <laughs> but I'm just saying to you the telling you the way it is. I mean, I can go watch a kid play and I'll tell you if he can play or not. Okay. And I think the number one thing is competition, who they play against when you evaluate a player. And uh, to evaluate a player, you've got to have a football background, and you've got to know what, like I've always said, when, if I'm an NFL scout and I want to watch a kid from Oregon or Oregon State, I want to watch him play against USC or Notre Dame or Ohio State or Michigan. I'm not going to come in and ask him to let me see your film against Laverne. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do that. But they have that type of competition in high school. So the evaluation of a high school athlete has to be done against competition and who this person is competing against because you don't know just how tough he is or how he wants to compete. So, uh, you know, this this is all part of it. But to go year-round, spring practice in high school, then passing leagues in the summer, then five-star camps, four-star camps, then, of course, Go to uh, college camps at Oregon, SC, UCLA, Ohio State, Notre Dame. I mean, please. Golly, your <laughs> legs have only got so many miles on them. <laughs> They're young. <laughs> All right. Now, this, this no show more. you can use any time, okay? This yeah. is a generic show yes. that you can use any time. No more rants for today. We're going we're gonna... to. Oh, I like ranting and raving, oh, man. This, so we, this is who I am. That's what we love it, Coach. We love it. You know, we, we're just full of our, our rant time, so we'll, we'll get some more next week. And, again, write us in, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you want to tell Coach Harvey Hyde you like or dislike some of the rants that he went on today. But thanks again, Coach, and uh, we will look forward to the show again next week. should be a lot of fun. Okay, buddy. Again, thank you, and thank you all of you out there for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. And everyone else, hey, back in 30 seconds, we're going to bring on Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 
888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com. Beat writer joining us. What's going on, Dan? How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Not bad. We're, we're finally, we made it to the summer and uh, in the home stretch here of uh, getting ready for the season. It, somebody did uh, said how many days it was, and I uh, I wish I could have remembered down. I think it's 88. Less than 100, that's for sure. Yeah, 88, I think. 88 days 88, left. 88, yeah. good. <laughs> Excellent. Reading the Peristyle, you get all these, this, or it might have been on Twitter, I'm not sure, but one of those, one of those things. Yeah, only 88 days left. Uh, we get, you know, the graduation's over, summer workouts will be kicking up again, so we'll be down there at, at all of those. And then, of course, fall camp will start up in August and uh, leading all the way to the season. And before you know it, boom, we got football games again. Can't wait. <laughs> that is the best thing about it. College football is just the way the season breaks up. It's not, not every Saturday now, and uh, kind of when you, you know, every every game is a different time, and uh, you have the, uh, you know, the the four days off uh, extra before the Thursday night games or whatever. But you, you know, you got eleven days, and then maybe ten days till the next game, that kind of thing. But uh, that kind of breaks it up nicely too. I, I mean, and and you look at this year's schedule, you you really gotta like it. It it breaks breaks out pretty nicely for USC, uh, if they take care of business. But the uh the way the schedule uh uh is set up, um it kind of a you know, gives them a chance to to do uh to do what they have to do if uh if they can get it done. Um, well, before we get into a couple of questions that we have today, uh, you did a two-part uh, piece on uh, Mike Summers and some, talking about the offensive line stuff. Maybe you want to like share a few of the thoughts of uh, your conversation with him. Well, I think they got you know yes, he got very lucky uh, that he probably normally would not have been available. Uh, you know, here he was a uh, you know a Kentucky guy. At home, probably, uh, you know, looking to maybe finish up um, his uh, coaching career uh, in Kentucky. I, I think, uh, you know, obviously the whole coaching staff had to was let go at Kentucky, and um, uh, I know they a lot of people there thought, "Gosh, why would why wouldn't we rehire, you know, Coach Summers? I mean, he's just got the best reputation you could possibly have for." Uh, uh, the job he's done at you know at places like uh, Louisville and Arkansas and in Kentucky, where you know with with much less you know talent and the you know, people he was you know playing against in the SEC, they were able to run the ball and run the ball and uh, just uh, you know kind of one of these uh, you know the kind of a guy that if you were going out to uh, you know cast a movie and looking at uh, uh, you know somebody to play the part of the, you know, veteran assistant coach who really knows what he's doing and has been around, uh, you get a, you know, you get a guy like Mike Summers. I mean, he just, uh, and, and so much of, of what he wants to do is, uh, it's just, it's not, you know, a, a flashy, it's not, um, you know, where you can say, uh, oh, he's got, you know, this particular 
you know, formula, which is going to, you know, be based on this particular kind of, uh, you know, stuff that nobody else is doing. It's based on basically just creating an, you know, an atmosphere of, of uh, uh, comfort level and uh, ability to repeat and uh, ability to just, uh, you know, play as a, as a, as a unit and just, uh, kind of all the things that you think, yeah, that that's what you ought to be able to do. And that's what you have to be able to do. Um, and a very much of a confidence level, you know, where I, you know, I've got, I'm going to be confident in what I'm doing. The coach is going to be confident in me. Um, he said, you know, how important it is that, that the kids believe in the coach. I mean, that they really have to believe in, you know, we're doing the right thing and we're doing it the right way. And, uh, it's just the kind of thing that you just you build, uh, you kind of you build an atmosphere. You know, pretty much uh, a lot of the opposite of, of of what they found themselves, you know, facing last year when it didn't look like anybody believed in you know anything that they were doing was the right thing to do, and then it, there was a lot of uh, you know just you know feeling of well maybe it'll work and maybe it won't work, but I don't know it probably won't. You know, that's just not the way, you know, he, uh, you know, intends to go about things. So it's just a real guy that, you know, he's been there, he's done that. Uh, just, so, uh, you know, the fact that it's pro- it's pretty good thing that his, uh, you know, his father-in-law is, is Joe B. Hall, uh, who, uh, who probably had one of the most difficult coaching situations in the history of college basketball coming at Kentucky to replace, uh, Adolph Rupp, you know, who had won, you know, four national championships. And uh, that's really, uh, you know, as, as everybody, you know, who knows UCLA basketball knows, that's a really tough, you know, gig. And uh, Joby Hall was able to, you know, kind of survive all of those, uh, you know, all that situation and uh, and handled it, uh, you know, really well, uh, you know, over the years. And I think Mike was able to uh, – you know, as a Kentucky kid and, you know, growing up there in Lexington was able to, to see how that works and knows the situation, you know, what it's like to coach at a, you know, at a really big time program where there are really big time expectations and how you handle it and what you have to do. So um, from a lot of, you know, standpoints, uh, you know, I think uh, he's just exactly the guy you know, you needed to have come in here. And I think he's gotten exactly the kind of, you know, control and, uh, you know, authority uh, that I think you see more and more of among the assistant coaches, especially on offense. Well, and then, you know, uh, defense probably, you know, a similar situation. But it just looks like this is more of an assistant coach uh, um, controlled, uh, you know, operation this year where the assistants really have a voice and um, kind of a say in how things are going. Um, well, Dan, I wanted to get some questions as well, and people should definitely check out uh, those pieces, the part one and part two on uscfootball.com. They're on the front page right now, so you could check them out. But we did have some questions, uh, even though it's the off season, It's not really the off offseason. Uh, but JJB sent in a few questions his first one was on cyrus hobby said he came in as a big time recruit so far he hasn't really done that much do you think he's ever going to be a starter that's a good question i don't know i i think um you know cyrus uh got an an interesting person a great personality kid you know great for you know be on the team 
I think uh, his uh, you know level of uh, you know I think there's a both a, a strength uh, you know and a physical maturing issue and then uh, you know kind of a uh, a confidence issue in, in his case. And, you know, he had a tough, really tough way to go, uh, have, you know, getting that, you know, start uh, against Stanford last year on the road, and, and that was a tough one to handle. But, I mean, he doesn't seem to be, you know, um, have let that, you know, really, um, uh, you know, have knocked him back, you know, all that much. And, you know, so he's uh, he's – you know, in there, I mean, alternating uh, pretty much with uh, with Marcus Martin. Now, obviously, uh, you know, they put, um, you know, Max Turk uh, has gotten some shots at center. And Hobby, you know, also will line up at guard as well. And uh, But I, don't, I, I'm, I wouldn't predict. I think with offensive linemen, it's a kind of job. You just never know. And all of a sudden, you know, kids in his last year and, there's a spot, and he just seems to have grown up and, you know, ready to go. So, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, probably size-wise, probably not quite, you know, uh, hands of the size maybe that some of these, some of the other young young guys do. Uh, so, yeah, but it's, it's, it's honestly hard, hard to see, um, um exactly where that's going to go with offensive linemen. And one of the things that's is harder for us is the offensive linemen probably work the farthest away from where we're allowed to be in practice. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they didn't get a lot done last year physically where you could really see a lot of that, you know, one-on-one stuff and, and all of that where you could really get a sense of how, how much they were, what they were improving. Uh, so, um, this year we'll probably get to see more of that kind of thing, you know, where we'll really get to see more of, you know, repetitive stuff that we, we get a real sense of, of who's, uh, you know, who's improving and, you know, where they stack up with regard to the other guys. But it's still uh, because of the nature of, of where the, uh, where the offensive line works out uh, across the field and down uh, on a lot of times on the, uh, you know, artificial turf, uh, you know, even with your, uh, if you have binoculars, it's not as easy to see. Uh, so uh, we always feel a little bit, uh, uh, you know, not as absolutely certain about the offensive line guys. Just we just don't get to see them do their individual stuff as much. Uh, all right, and then this question is kind of interesting. I, I thought he would realize this, but he wanted. To, he had a question about Christian Thomas. Where is he physically? They want to talk about him being such a great talent. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we got two kind of takes on him last year where it looked like, uh oh, this is, he's really not, you know, going to, he's not going to, you know, not going to make it. And you know, that he, he had the worst of the, uh, of the, the hip cartilage surgery and, uh, it just wasn't going to happen. And then after they did the surgery, they thought, we we understand, or they they went in and and and, and did a little more work. They decided, well maybe it, maybe there's a chance. And then fairly quickly, the word we got, you know, was that uh, he was going to be, you know, he was going to that would be it. He would have to be medical uh, for the rest of his career, stay on scholarship, but that the the cartilage was just not gonna not gonna uh, not gonna take. And I, I guess that's always a question, you know. 
it's the kind of the first time uh, probably ten years ago when both UCLA and USC started having kids with this uh, you know this uh, hip cartilage the inside of the hip where where they had to get it kind of uh, you know, reworked so that the joint wouldn't be all painful when they were, you know, when they were, uh, you know, working out. And uh, and it really became, uh, every one of them was, you know, different. And some guys came back pretty well and some guys didn't. Um, you, you started to hear that his was maybe the worst. And, and, and when they first were doing those, those were, you know, a minimum of a year. And then some guys came back, uh, you know, sooner uh, Drew McAllister had both uh, both hips done. Uh, Devon Kennard had had one. Um, uh, uh, gosh, uh, Alan Bradford did. You know, a lot of guys, uh, and it was always individual. Always, you know, it took a, a different amount of time. But uh, but Christian, you know, just it never ever was right, and uh, was going to take longer than any of them had ever taken before, and. Uh, now it, it does certainly look like uh, that he's not going to be able to, but uh, I guess there's always that chance that, you know, lightning would strike and after, you know, just months and months and months off, something would happen. But uh, but that's what we understand is that, that he won't be able to come back. Yeah, that was kind of, I guess that was back in March is when, beginning of March or something like that, when that kind of came out where, you know him and it was Christian Hayward, Devontae Wilson, and Christian Thomas. I think all around the same time, where they said they weren't going to be coming back. Yeah, and I think uh, you know um, you had two of them not in school. Uh, I think Christian, you know, will you know will be able to stay in school. It was just weren't going to be back for you know winter workouts or uh, or uh, more spring ball. Spring football, yeah. Uh, and so um, you know so. But it's something to you know to see if he if he stays around the program. It would be a shame because he was just an explosive kid who probably you know could have played three uh, at least three different positions, uh, offense and defense. And um, and uh, you know you just get that education. That's uh, that's really uh, you know while you're you know in college, uh, you really you know it's. it's he certainly had a future probably at the next level, if nothing else, as a uh, as a special teams player. I mean, he was as good a, you know, that's why he got on the field right away. Uh, you know, as a special teams guy with just terrific acceleration, he would hit people, kick off coverage. Uh, you know, he was, um, it's, uh, it's really a shame, you know. And then one last one from JJB. It was about uh, Giovanni DiPaolo. Do you think there's a chance he'd be a starter? Oh, uh, I don't know. He's got he's got this year. Uh, he, he got his degree uh, at the athlete's graduation. He's certainly feeling better. Saw him at uh, he was interviewing Coach Summers, and he was going by. And I know he's feeling. You know, his shoulders are in much better shape. And he was another guy where you weren't sure if his uh, you know kind of a chronic uh, you know issue with his shoulders was was going to you know ever let him uh, let him be a factor. Um, uh, you know, more at home now as a guard. Uh, I guess you know, in a pinch, he could he could probably uh, you know go back and 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 play play center where he kind of that was where he was slotted when he came in. But uh, but he certainly you know on the two deep and and you know a veteran, uh, great attitude, great kid. Um, 
uh, maybe not as a starter. Another one, you know, another player who maybe physically not quite, uh, you know, the size you kind of need, you know, to play right now. And, uh, you know, maybe had he, you know, been healthy his whole career, uh, uh, you know, would have been able to, uh, you know, get himself as a starter. But uh, he's going to be close. And, and, he certainly, uh, I think, probably played more than than uh, you know many thought he would. I mean, I think there were you know a, a number of people who thought maybe he wouldn't be able to you know really uh, uh, play at all, uh, and that he might be you know in the same situation that you know Christian Thomas found himself. But uh, and it's you know he's been a pleasant surprise, um, you know, in terms of the health uh, and. Uh, his ability to go out there every day. And uh, so, so I mean, I, another kid who maybe, you know, somebody uh, somebody goes down or whatever, uh, certainly will be able to step in and play. So, you know, whether, whether you're a starter or not, and I know that Coach Summers is a big guy, you know, for kind of having a five-man unit, uh, you know, a, re- a real nucleus that, Basically, these are your starters. These are the five best guys, no matter what position they end up playing in. So, uh, and you can do that with offensive, you know, linemen. You really don't need to, you know, back them up all that much uh, as long as they're healthy. Uh, that you know they can stay in for you know most of the game. Uh, so, whether he can be one of those guys, that might be uh, might be a little bit of a stretch, but uh, but I think he'll be available and he'll be in the games, and uh, I think he can you know finish out uh, you know where I think you know the hopes for him when he came in are, and then um, uh, and and way better than we thought he was going to be say two years ago. You, we would not have thought you know he's going to be able to finish up as uh, you know on the field and uh, kind of an every every day uh, at practice and, and every game contributor, which I think he can be. Um, let's see. Okay, that was from JJB. Rundy had a couple of guys he wanted to get updates on. He said, we haven't heard much from Gerald Bowman or Marquis Simmons. Were they overhyped or just destined to be role players? What do you think about those two guys? Well, I think injuries, uh, basically, Gerald uh, pretty much missed – you know, he uh, – as a, as a you know junior college kid, that first year is a little bit uh, of a you know kind of a learning situation, and and I think anybody who was in the secondary last year, you know, they just had a puzzled look on their face. You know, I don't care if it was uh, T.J. McDonald and Nickel Roby or who, it was you know what exactly are we supposed to do here? Well, for a first year guy, uh, that was really hard. So. Uh, Gerald is a delightful kid, uh, and uh, it, it's a shame he, he has this kind of a compression fracture in his. Uh, in uh, uh, it's really hard. It was hard to locate it. It kind of a tibia, fibula, kind of a thing that that uh, he did it running in uh, at the end of the winter uh, sessions. Which knocked him out of um, out of spring ball, but um, he um, he uh, will be back for uh, you know full go and just an absolutely delightful you know lovely kid uh, out of Philadelphia. He's just so happy to be at USC. 
really, really good kid. And probably somebody because, uh, you know, the way everything went last year with the entire secondary and the way um, he didn't get a chance to uh, to play in the spring and he's at a position where, you know, there are a lot of kids that can play. Uh, you know, you know, you've got a, a Dion Bailey coming in uh, at safety. You've got, uh, you know, Sue Cravens. You got, uh, you know, we'll see who else ends up there or not. Uh, you know, with you know Josh Shaw, Leon McQuay, and you know all that kind of. Uh, it's a it's a position where you're not focused on Lee, on uh, on Gerald Bowman, but uh, I wouldn't forget him. He's a hitter, and he really wants to be. Uh, he wants to be a player, but uh, he just, uh, you know, I think anybody coming into the USC secondary last year may have been kind of, at, you know, at the wrong time, at the wrong place. And as far as Simmons is concerned, he's as good a, good a looking athlete as we've ever seen. And, and he's one of those kids who a lot of times injures himself he, and, and, and through hitting. I mean, he hits people, and at practice, he will – really deliver blows and he's had a kind of a chronic shoulder thing that just seems to uh, you know so what they've you know kind of settled on is a is a place uh, you know kind of a uh, you know almost a regular on the special teams and a coverage guy Uh, but uh, you know I think he's going to be in a position you know at linebacker where you know he will be needed and his experience, uh, you know, will be something that, uh, you know, they really uh, they are going to be able to call on this year. And if he stays healthy, I mean, he, he's, he's had a combination of kind of injuries and illness that, you know, uh, one thing after another, I think the first one was appendicitis, and then maybe when he was a freshman, and it just seemed like something always was happening to him. Uh, he's another one who, who, who walked the eye, got his degree, uh, you know, in uh, in May, and uh, you know, been kind of a battle too. I mean, I don't think it's been been all that terribly uh, you know easy for him. But uh, uh, you know, one would hope that uh, that he can stay healthy, and uh, and I think he can he can he can play. I mean, he's he's strong and and quick and uh, and tough. He just hasn't hasn't had a lot of luck, but um, but. You know, don't be surprised if you see him on the field uh, fairly, other than, you know, just in, in special teams, which I think without a doubt you'll see him out there. Okay. And then uh, we got one last one. This is from Melvin. And he says, uh, even though, ooh, hey, puppies. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> There's somebody at the door. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, he says, even though this is not a straightforward football question, he wanted to know. If you look at Pat Hayden's tenure so far as the USC athletic director, what is your opinion about how effective of a job he's done so far? Well, um, interesting. <laughs> he's done a really effective job in, in terms of um, um, if you just look at compensation for athletic directors, he's done a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked about I mean, this uh, before, right? He's the highest-paid athletic director. Two point two million dollars a year, having never done that job before. Uh, that's a that's a really good job. I think we I think I figured out that if you add the the salaries of the two guys who are accepted right now, are you know as kind of the top two athletic directors in the country, 
Tom Jurich at Louisville and Dave Brandon at Michigan, they make 2.3 million between them. So, so Pat, you know, from that standpoint, he's done really well. And I will say this: I think from the standpoint of of, uh, of paying USC's coaches, I think they do a good job. And that, you know, to give, you know, for example, I think when they went out to get this group of coaches, I don't think there it was a case of. Well, we can't bring, you know, Clancy Pendergast or Mike Summers or these guys in because of, you know, Tommy Robinson, you know, from the NFL, uh, you know, Mike Eckler, who was the co-defensive coordinator in the Big Ten. Uh, that doesn't seem to have been a problem anywhere along the line. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, you know, you know, good for Pat. And uh, obviously nobody's got have a, having the kind of year that the USC women are having. Uh, and and lots of uh, you know sports, so so that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I wish uh, if, I wish USC were a little more you know cutting edge in the in the program the way uh, say the McKay Center by itself is cutting edge. I think gosh, I was at went back to Kentucky for a wedding a week ago. And, and actually stopped by, hadn't seen Louisville uh, and all the things they've done, actually, you know, to cover them a little bit. And uh, you cannot believe their facilities and how hard they're working at their program and this thing. I mean, it's just, and it's an example of there are an awful lot of schools that are doing an awful lot of things really well and that you really, really, really have to work very, very hard to compete uh, uh, at the top level of college sports these days. I do think um, there was maybe a little bit of a kind of a hands-off uh, in terms of, um, of football, for example, and obviously in basketball, way too hands-off, well, both men's and women's basketball. I think that ended last, uh, last year. I think it's it's not been nearly as hands off, and with good you know purpose. I think uh, you know the combination of, of Pat and J.K. McKay in football probably uh, you know has has resulted in some of the changes that we seem to think are are for the positive at this point. Uh, I don't think it was easy you know coming in as kind of an outsider. Uh, you know, maybe you're on the board of trustees as sort of the athletic guy, but uh, but you're not really in the middle of uh, of you know what's going on in college sports and and you know doing Notre Dame football games. You kind of see the you know the one point of you know what Notre Dame wants you to see, but you may not really understand what exactly is happening. And 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 so there was a. There was a big learning curve, and you know the NCA stuff uh, wasn't an easy learning curve. Uh, but uh, but we'll see. I, I don't think we know yet in terms of of uh, you know how this is gonna how this is gonna go. You know for for Pat. I I mean I think uh, they've got an opportunity with the McKay Center with a the a USC you know overall program that's you know. Uh, in a position, an awfully good position, but 
But uh, I think one of the things that you're seeing in college athletics right now is is uh, how important it is to, you know, involve the, you know, the student body, and, and, uh, and especially when it's more of an international student body. Uh, how do you uh, how do you win them over? How do you get them to basketball games? How do you really uh, you know create that kind of you know atmosphere on campus? And uh, I think there you know some there's some work to be done there. Uh, I think uh, one of the uh, you know one of the, the bright spots was just the fact that in spring ball it wasn't a big deal, but in spring ball they got the you know USC fans. They figured out a way to to get them to be able to come back to practice in a way that we thought they always could. It was certainly according to the NCAA rules, you know, sanctions was going to be perfectly fine. And after a couple of years of not doing it, they, you know, allowing fans to watch practice from the adjacent, uh, you know, uh, Dado field, that kind of thing. So, uh, so, but I, I, I don't think we can, you know, give Pat a grade at this point. I think it's a, He's a work in progress, and uh, and we shall see how you know how and where this goes because uh, I think he did a terrific job in the basketball coach uh, search. I thought he he listened pe- to people. He uh, got a lot of people involved in it. He did their homework. Uh, I think they made the right call with Andy Enfield. I think that uh, that's a you know a call. I mean, I was somebody who really liked Tim Floyd and really thought, you know, what happened with him was not a good, you know, good thing. I liked that Pat, you know, did go talk to Tim and made it clear, you know, it was kind of the thing I think they owed Tim. Uh, I thought Andy Enfield was an excellent choice for USC. I think he's a great fit. Uh, and so that's a real, that's a real positive, positive sign for Pat. But, uh, but it's a challenge and we'll see. We'll see. I think, uh, you know, if he'll, you know, realize uh, just how hard people like Stanford and Oregon are working at it. And the Arizonas now are back in business. And, uh, you know, uh, UCLA, you know, got their act together, whether, you know, whether this is something that UCLA can, uh, you know, uh, keep going. Uh, That hasn't necessarily, you know, been uh, the track record over there, but, uh, you know, with, with their new staff, but they certainly had it going last year and did most of the right things, uh, you know, in a year when USC was doing most of the wrong things. So, uh, so I don't, uh, uh, that's a really good question. I think it's a question we all can, you know, answer for ourselves and, and be fair about it. I mean, there are times I know people think, oh, you're, you're not, you know, you're not fair. And, uh, and, and, I think what we ought to op- you know be open to criticism and awareness of all the things that are happening at, at a lot of places in terms of you know a lot of schools have facilities a lot of schools have the willingness now to to compete like crazy uh, a lot of schools and one of the things USC's got has had I think is an advantage is is they've had a better schedule they've had you know they're one of the three schools with Notre Dame and UCLA, which is really interesting that there are only three schools and 125 um, FBS schools. Only three have never played a team from a, a lower classification. And uh, when you look at around and look at the SEC schedule this year, you look at the Pac-12 schedule this year, you see 
wow, there are a lot of schools that look like that's like the first thing they do on their schedule is try to find, uh, <laughs> you know, when does University of Texas at San Antonio, uh, you know, get their first, uh, you know, you know uh, when are they first, when do they start playing football, you know, or, or whatever. And uh, so I think with uh, Texas A&M dropping USC, uh, now that they're a full-fledged member of the SEC, uh, it'll be interesting to see where does that go. And that's a big part of, you know, whether he's do, he does it himself. It's just the, that philosophy that, you know, flows from the athletic director in terms of, of playing those kinds of games. Um, and, you know, the fact that, you know, the Pac-12 is, is more challenging. Uh, I, I think what we're seeing right now would not be, uh, you know, a part of Pat, but uh, it would be uh, kind of an indication going forward of of, of where they're going to go as well. So, uh, uh, very good question. Don't know if it's a good answer. I think <laughs> it's you know it's an answer in progress as we uh, as we uh, sit here and watch. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again for uh, coming on the show. We took a break last week when we talked to. Bobby to Mars, but we'll be back here. The team will be working out. We'll be talking to more guys. And so if you have any more questions, everyone just email them in. Podcast at uscfootball.com. We'd love to get to them all. And uh, thanks again, Dan. Well, I enjoyed it, Ryan. And uh, can't wait to get back to some football this uh, very soon here in the summer. Yes, sounds good. All right, and everyone else. Sort of football, anyway, preparing for football. (laughs) Exactly. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We really appreciate you coming and listening to our little show. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.